Welcome to the Thrive Subscribe CPESN Saturday Edition podcast. My name is Ashley Branham, and I'm joined with my co-host, Joe Moose. Hey, Joe, how's your week been? Hey, Ashley, it's been crazy like a lot of weeks, but just I think it's been crazier than, than most weeks. But uh, we're, we're at hump day. We are. We are. So we have an exciting um, podcast for you today. Um, today, we talked to a champion in community pharmacy that has shaped her career in being an expert in developing innovative payer purchaser programs on behalf of community pharmacies. Trista Pippenberger is CPESN's Director of Quality and Operations. Throughout her time at CPSN, she has led quality assurance and quality improvement programs with CPSN, and she has led the way for securing many, many payer contracts working alongside luminaries of local networks. This is a unique guest today because Trista is embarking on a new milestone of her career as we celebrate her last week working in this role at CPESN. We are honored that she made time to be on this podcast today and share with our listeners her insights on payer engagement. Trista, we are so glad to welcome you on today's show. Thank you for that generous introduction, Ashley, and I'm so glad to be on with you both this evening. Yep. So this this is this is a bittersweet time for us. Uh, Trista and I go go way back. Like a lot of the guests, um, they're not only colleagues of mine; they're friends, and and this is no exception. Uh, Trista's is she's all business and, until you get away from business, and then she's one of the most fun people you can hang out with, and, and that'll surprise you if you've never gotten to interact with her in that way. Um, so, it, like I said, it, it is it is bittersweet, and and I will tell you just you know from me and from my heart, Trista is is one of the people that you can uh, you can learn a tremendous amount from, and, and over the years that I've worked with her, uh, you don't think she's teaching you anything, and I don't think she thinks she's teaching you anything. But when you leave the conversation, you, I, I always felt like I left with so much. Uh, more clarity around what was going on and so much greater understanding. You know, I, I kind of to go into these things without a governor on the engine and, and Trista always seems to, to be so poised about it. So Trista, I just want to start this off by saying that, that thank you for all that you've, you've taught me over the years and and uh, all, all that you've, you've shared with me over the years to make me a, make me a better pharmacist, better pharmacy owner and better person. Thank you, Joe. Well, I will say to both you and Ashley, from a pharmacy owner perspective, you all are an inspiration. And I'm the one who's trying to figure out how the engine of the car is working every day, but you are the ones figuring out where we need to drive it and inspiring the drivers to hop in the car and get going for whatever our um, charge is the next day. So it's been a it's been a great relationship and great ride. So Trista, walk, walk the uh the listener through your pharmacy journey from when you made that decision, hey, I think I'll go to pharmacy school, to how you landed um, at CPESN. 
Sure. Well, even before going to pharmacy school, what led me to that decision was my aunt was a um, small rural independent community pharmacy owner. And so my first exposure to pharmacy was being in her pharmacy, observing them over the years, she and my uncle as owners. Um, and that really shaped my decision in many ways to become a pharmacist. And as I went through pharmacy school, they made their own decisions around um, selling their pharmacy so that they could retire. Um, and so when I came out, I started the first few years of my career in, in residency and health system practice. And then I had the good fortune um, just over 10 years ago as when I met uh, Troy Trickstad for the first time and shortly after met Joe and worked at Community Care of North Carolina, where we were spending a lot of time figuring out how pharmacists generally should work with care managers and medical providers, primarily primary care, but some specialists as well in order to take care of high-risk patients. At that time, we were focusing primarily on a statewide Medicaid program. And as that program grew and evolved over the years, that was the genesis of CPESN, saying that, okay, well, if we're really going to bring the work of these pharmacists into all the communities across the state, how can we do that if not for community pharmacy? And so that really was our first steps with CPESN, um, having a four-year funded demonstration through the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, which was a great, uh, very large demonstration project that showed that we could build this network, that it could function well, and that pharmacies could be incentivized by the value-based um, payment models. And then, of course, launching our national network, our clinically integrated network, CPSN USA, um, uh, four years ago, and then growing that over the last couple of years. So that's been how I've spent my career. And I will say um, each year has been more exciting than the last. Fantastic. Well, that, that's uh, I can personally say I, I'm glad that you that was your journey, and I know that pharmacy in North Carolina and pharmacy across the country has taken a path for the better because you did that. So um, I, I'm thanking you, but, uh, but I'm sure there are uh, at least 2,700 CPS and pharmacies across the nation that are, that are also thanking you. So uh, you, you've set, uh, we've sat together in a number of them, but, but you set in front of payers uh, as much or more than any anyone in the CPS and staff. And, and, and I could venture, I couldn't even guess at, at how many payer conversations you've had over the last four years. If you could say there's one thing that, that when you mention about community-based pharmacies, what is the one thing that, makes them sit up and go, you know, kind of like the dog that, that turns his head sideways when he hears something or sees something interesting. What is the one thing you think that really maybe catches them off guard, but but that you think that they're like, maybe I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Or hmm, that, that you think really gets their attention. That's a great question, Joe. I think primarily what gets their attention is First of all, at least when they're talking about CPSN pharmacies, I think many of them um, believe that pharmacy has a unique contribution to make, but they don't know what that looks like. And they certainly don't understand all the services that a community pharmacy is ready to provide. 
I think what they do understand off the bat and what tends to make them excited is that you're local and community-based. So you tend to have very strong patient relationships, very strong provider working relationships. And those are the things that health plans really need to make their programs go, right? That's the, that's the gas in the car. Um, but I think the depth of the program offerings and the richness of the, the care planning and other activities that go on between these pharmacies and their patients is surprising and yet really exciting to these health plans because it really um, opens their eyes that they have a multitude of problems that need to be solved and every health plan has them. It's just different. Those problems are different from plan to plan, state to state. But when they start to realize all the different ways these community pharmacy um, partnerships could influence their challenges, that's the light bulb moment. I think, too, Trista, along the way, we've had uh, a lot of, I guess, learnings from the community pharmacy side and, and what to expect um, from working out these types of payer arrangements. I mean, as you just stated, there's a lot of education that has to take place from the very beginning steps for um, these types of payers to understand what the capacity and capability and um, what, you know, envisioning the network activities that could be accomplished. And I, I just wonder from your perspective, what kind of guidance would you give community pharmacies in, in order of um, really setting expectations around, you know, when you're working with a payer, these are the kind of things that you might expect, and, um, and particularly the length of um, the discussion or particular milestones that you've seen routinely as productive and successful um, payer engagements have progressed. Again, wonderful question, Ashley. Um, I think what is very unique about those engagements with payers, um, a handful of things, I would say, First of all, don't be surprised if it does take a while to get to that um, contract that you're ultimately seeking. But the other thing that I have been so encouraged by time and time again, and I think it's really important if there's any community pharmacies listening who provide these services, are looking for a vehicle to get paid for these services, but they don't currently participate in the network, I can't tell you how many payers we sat across the table with and got very favorable response. And I was side by side with a CPSN luminary or one or more of them. And they would say to the payer, you know, I spoke with you several years ago and and every time the payer would respond back, you know, we loved your ideas. We loved what you did at your pharmacy because it was only your pharmacy in your corner of the state. We didn't know what to do with you back then, even though it was very exciting. Now you come to us saying there's a whole network of these pharmacies that are doing these same services and that we can now figure out how to serve our entire member population. That is the game changer. And so um, if anyone out there is feeling like they're struggling to get their services recognized and they're fighting that battle alone, that's the first thing I would say to you is consider CPSN um, so that you can find um, those opportunities together with, with counterparts and strong peers who offer the same services. 
And when you're having those conversations with health plan partners, maybe physician groups, ACOs, a variety of of groups, again, don't be surprised if it takes and don't be discouraged if it takes six to 12 months to contract. For us, sometimes it's taken as long as 18 months. Um, We've even had some groups where we've had a number of really encouraging conversations and I thought for sure it was going to go somewhere. And then all of a sudden our contacts that we had been working with on the health plan side just disappeared for a while and thought, okay, well, I must've read that one wrong. Maybe it's not going anywhere. And then sure enough, and this has happened multiple times, they come back a few months later and they say, oh, sorry, we were so quiet. We've actually been building this proposal on how we could work together. And we're coming back now with a proposal for you instead of asking you to get a proposal together for us. And so that is, um, so don't be discouraged. I think if, if things get quiet for a while, don't necessarily assume that that's a bad sign and prepare for the whole um, conversation about how you can help them. Scoping a proposal, getting a contract together may very well be a 12 to 18 month process. But I think if, if everyone goes into it knowing that's the case, it can be a lot less frustrating. Yeah, I, I know as as a lot of the, the pharmacy owners that, that listen to this podcast, you know, they're successful because they're small and they're very agile and they're very nimble. And when an opportunity comes, they can strike very quickly. And then they try to marry that opportunity up with a great big corporation that has, you know, onion layers and layers of like an onion that they have to vet and go through. It, it just seems it, it seems like odd to to us owners a lot of times that you know why could it move so slow? Why does it have to move so slow? And and we interpret that as well they've lost interest that you know they're not they're not going to do it a lot of times. So I think that's a good point. As a you know you've been in you've been in my pharmacy a number of times and you probably talked to as many community pharmacy owners as as anybody in the country on a daily basis if you were going to give advice to an owner um about hey what do you really need to change in your practice or what do you make need to make sure that you're doing in your practice to to ensure that you're relevant in the next 5 years as you see it what what would be some things you think that we as owners should be kind of changing our model to make sure that we're we're relevant in the next five years. I'd pick a couple of things. And of course, the, the real list would be longer, right? But if I had to focus on just those few nuggets that are perhaps the most meaningful and would get pharmacies the furthest, these are the couple I'd choose. I think the first one is with what you're doing every day, day in and day out, there's no doubt you're already taking good care of your patients, but take time to reflect on whether what you're doing right now in terms of care and service would impact their medical outcomes. Um, Joe, I think you actually, you were the one who said this best. And so to turn one of your quotes back to you as an example, way back when we were still doing the grant demonstration project, trying to prove out this CPESN concept, you described when you sat down with your staff and said, um, not, you know, which, uh, which generic, um, medication, which generic fill rate did you, you know, promote this week? Instead, what you were saying is, what did you do to prevent a hospitalization this week? What did you prevent? What did you do to prevent one of our patients from going to the emergency department? I think that's the right way of looking at things. 
Likewise, what are we doing in our pharmacy to help our patients with diabetes keep good control of their disease states? Are we offering patients with hypertension the ability to check their blood pressure? When we're dispensing a rescue medication for asthma, are we stopping to look to make sure they are filling a controller if they need one and that they're not just refilling their rescue medication all the time? Are we doing those things? And clearly some of them are large things, some of them might be small things. But if you're doing things every day that will make an impact on outcomes, that will help you be ready for that service and contract opportunity when it comes. The second thing I would say is maintaining those close relationships with your medical providers. You want your medical providers around you to see you as different, to collaborate with your pharmacy differently. Maybe you even have a contract with those provider groups to help them with services, you know, chronic care management, things like that. Um, maybe they're, you're, you know, you're helping them um, in the ACO, whatever it might be. But keeping those relationships with community-based um, providers strong, so that they are also an advocate for you and how your pharmacy is different in serving your community. And then the third thing I would say is, when it comes to, you know, at the end of the day, if we're going to get paid for these services, um, we have to be documenting them. And we have to be prepared for the scrutiny that comes with that. So if you're delivering the care to affect outcomes, you have these team-based relationships where when you see something with the patient's therapy that needs to be improved, that you can you know, have that conversation with the physician and, and get that accepted. Um, the last thing is we have to be able to document our care. And with CPSN, we obviously talk a lot about documenting care plans, and that's definitely important. But I think for pharmacies, you also have to be watching what's happening out there. Um, you know, the state of Ohio recently um, implemented, they're going through a big Medicaid transition right now, and they're asking all of their health plans to get ready for a situation where pharmacists would be able to submit um, medical billing for services. It's very exciting. Um, it follows some uh, legislation that passed in the state last month. But by and large, when we look at what's happening with CPSN right now, a lot of the way our contracts are structured today is largely because when we look at how medical providers do it, for instance, pharmacies don't large, by and large, have um, widespread access to medical billing, right? And we don't, at the moment, have widespread clinical documentation that's happening through care planning. I, I think with CPSN, we're seeing that dramatically increase, and that's phenomenal. But that will absolutely be necessary in order to demonstrate your work, both to other care team members and to health plans and other groups. Yeah. Just a couple uh, years ago, I, I remember being on um, a call with um, a payer who had shared some um, success in developing a hypertension program. And um, the words that they they shared was a little bit concerning because um, it was it, they were describing the demographics of community pharmacies in their state, and they said. Um, we've, we've developed this program with um, the hypertension program with a, it was a large grocery store um, chain at that time. And they said, um, and, and this is the activity, these are the program, you know, this is what the program looks like. And the question was pitched, well, why didn't, uh, why did you go with the, the, the grocery store chain? Did you consider um, community, other types of community-based pharmacies. And, and they said, well, there's there's really no other types of community pharmacies in our state. Um, 
or at least we don't know of them. And, um, you know, the, of course, that's concerning when um, you don't realize the network of, of pharmacies that are in that area that are prepared to, to really offer that advanced types of service. And so I, I'm wondering from your perspective of, of following this journey over the past 10 years, have you seen that conversation change or is there still a lot of, um, you know, uh, introduction to this type of network that's out there where um, there, there's a, a high level of le learning and education that has to take place or, or do they believe it's not out there anymore? No, that's a great question. And you are right. It has changed a lot. So I would say from four years ago, when we were starting to talk about this, it was a lot of really explaining what the pharmacy does and questions about, well, when I walk into a pharmacy, I don't see this. Um, so, so tell me what this looks like. What exactly do they do? And there was a lot of that conversation. I cannot recall having that particular conversation at all in the last 12 to 18 months for certain. It's now more about understanding how we're structured legally. So if we have high, uh, pharmacy networks that are based on quality and performance, what is the legal structure for that? How can we find a way to be uh, treated contractually like a provider network, like a medical provider network would? I think in pharmacy world, um, we're so often seen as quote unquote vendors or um, a call center approach is really common. And unfortunately, provider networks are somewhat more uncommon, um, at least when you think about some of the easy button approaches that can be done to solve problems. And we obviously hope that's a trend that changes, right? And I do think we're starting to see that that change and the receptivity to it change. But um, but there's no doubt that uh, uh, that part of that is the, the pharmacy's um, willingness and, and also that this is happening in other groups outside of just CPESN, for instance. There are, like you said, large grocers. There are examples of health system outpatient doing this. I think because we're having, we're seeing success with pharmacy services across those different groups, it's good for all of us. Um, and so the, the receptivity is higher, the need to explain is lower, and, and where we need to go now is how do we convince folks that the pharmacy provider network is maybe the first place you go when you have a problem to solve? And then how do you work with those uh, networks and groups contractually when they're available? That's a, that's a relief. And that's good news, I think, that shows changing occurring in the marketplace and that this type of aggregation model just might be working in some regards. So, um, um I'm pleased to hear that from your perspective. Yeah, w would you say, uh, I mean, when you you engage with the payer, do you, would you say that that, uh, that they're already familiar with engaging pharmacies and the, and the, it's less about convincing them that pharmacy can help them and more about, um, how, you know, how do we logistically pull it off and, and how do we, you know, contract and how do we pay and how do we, or, or is it still a lot of your time convincing them that, hey, pharmacy can really, you know, ph pharmacy can help you with whatever it is you're trying to accomplish and you should pay them. Occasionally, there's still the convincing, Joe, and I think sometimes it certainly helps that 
we have lots of examples we can point to out there where we've had past success and it's as easy as just referencing those and showing what we've accomplished instead of a you know lengthy conversation about it. I think it's more so now about how. Um, these health plans and other groups are seeing the opportunity. And to me, what's exciting is, of course, we're seeing some of the traditional opportunities, right? Things like diabetes management, you know, other disease state, comprehensive care type um, models, all of those are in play. But we're also seeing things like, well, how can pharmacies help with social determinants of health, screening and referral? How can pharmacies help with um, health, health risk uh, assessments? And, and needs assessments, those sorts of things that are perhaps not traditionally pharmacy activities. But again, because the pharmacy is locally based, they see the patient often, they have that strong relationship where the patient is likely, more likely to give them honest answers to questions like, you know, do you have enough food this month? Um, the pharmacy is in an excellent position to be able to help other care team members and the health plan with those kinds of services in addition to the more traditional ones. So I think a lot of it is about um, what are the opportunities? What are the that particular group's most pressing needs that pharmacies could help with? And then what are the logistics? Are there care plans involved? Is there Are we working with a care manager here with the care management team at the health plan? Are we partnering with a provider group? Are we, um, you know, are we somehow working with a health information exchange? There's all these different questions about how, but I do think the vast majority of the questions are more about what and how instead of why. Well, I think that's that's good from us from a st pharmacy standpoint. Maybe harder for you, harder for you or CPSN to answer, but from a, a pharmacy owner standpoint, that that's awful encouraging news to to hear because I feel like I feel like we've been telling the story and it's fallen on deaf ears for so long. So. I'm glad that that uh, you've been able to get the traction you have with these payers and 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 actually land pair contracts. So that uh, that is always super exciting. Um, as you know, as uh, your time with CPSN is is kind of winding down. I'm not sure that we're going to totally let you go, but it's kind of winding down. You know, what is it that you hope that uh, that that community pharmacy owners realize, or what is it that that you? I guess, what do you? What is your fear that is going to hold us back the most? That's a good way of saying that. Um, I think the biggest concern right now is just, can we be ready? Things in healthcare are changing so fast right now. And I know it feels like we've been able to say that every year for the past few years, but between um, the, the situation with COVID really upending things um, pretty dramatically, and you know, I think the acceleration, the pace of change is different than it was even two, three years ago. And again, the openness to pharmacy is there. We've, you know, on the medical side, we've been doing value-based care for quite a few years now. And there are multiple groups who will say, you know, we really thought that putting some sort of performance incentive on the pro medical provider side would really solve all these quality conundrums, right? And we would all of a sudden have great quality metrics and whatever else. And guess what? That doesn't always happen. There's still a need to, to improve. And, um, and I think that's where pharmacy comes in. And so the biggest um, 
and concern, I think, is can we be ready when we're we're called? Because I think the opportunities are coming fast and furious. Can we be ready? And can we move fast enough to keep pace with um, not only the opportunities, but the the way that they'll maybe be designed and things like that. I mean, on, on the medical side, they're already talking about, you know, not just performance incentives, but downside risk and things like that. And, and those conversations, I think for all provider groups right now, still create some level of um, discomfort and uncertainty. And are we ready for this? And there's no doubt that those same conversations are going to come pharmacy's direction. And so I think what I would compel everybody is let's make sure we're ready. It, it is such a, the next few years or two, I promise you all, I will be watching what happens with CPSN because the opportunity and the promise of what the next one or two years brings um, should be pretty incredible. And so I look forward to seeing how um, those opportunities connect with what CPSN is bringing to the marketplace through its networks. Um, and, and I hope that the pharmacies and the network leads and everyone are ready. Um, for those opportunities and ready to move quickly. Because back to your earlier point, even though contracting might take 12 or 18 months, we often find that after the contract signed, groups really hope that four, six, eight weeks later, you're ready to go. So it does require us to be vigilant and ready and um, for all that's coming. And it's exciting. It absolutely is. I, um, it'll be It'll be exciting to to look ahead. I wish I wish we could see what that path is unveiled right now as we are are really trying to figure out ways for sustainability. And, um, and certainly, Trista, your your contributions have helped so much for community pharmacy. And I, I'm wondering if you would mind just walking the listeners through what what a few of the next steps look like for you. I, I know you're staying pretty close, um, con closely connected with CPSN. Can you give us a glimpse of what, what your next journey looks like as you, as you um, button up this milestone? Absolutely. I'm glad to. Um, well, I explained that about 11 years ago, the first time I met Troy and Joe and Ashley was through Community Care of North Carolina, and it's basically those same roots that I'm, I'm going back to here in a week or so. And I'll essentially be working with them on the medical side, so with their physician network and other, other groups, um, their support structures to implement um, a number of different value-based contracts on their side. Um, which is exciting work as well. And I think the piece that will um, stay a close tie to CPSN, and I'm so glad, is one of the things I've been tasked with figuring out is from the provider's perspective, can we look at these potential community pharmacy relationships and determine, is there scalability here? Again, we have so many examples where this one physician practice in this one pharmacy or a couple of them worked well, very, very well together, found a model that was sustainable. It was beneficial financially for both parties. The quality improved. Patients were more satisfied, all these things, right? And we all know of these stories. We've heard of them. We know pharmacies that are involved in those models. But I think the big question that physician groups are still trying to grapple with is, well, are those pharmacies um, a diamond in a rough, in the rough, or should I be able to expect that from my pharmacy here in my community? And, and are those things really scalable? And so um, as I approach this work with the um, other side, with the medical side, if you will, one of the things I will have the chance to um, explore is, is how those models might look from a scalability perspective 
Um, and so I'm really looking forward to that because I think all of us believe in our heart of hearts that they are scalable. It's just really getting down to um, the data and the stories and the right groups to work together to, to see that happen, right? The relationships, um, all the groundwork, the right training, all the groundwork that needs to be in place for those to be successful, but we all know they can be. Um, so I look forward to having a chance to um, hopefully positively impact that narrative here in the coming months and years. Will that work be confined to North Carolina at this time, or do you expect it to extend into other states? It's a great question. I think for starters, a lot of it because um, Community Care of North Carolina is, is primarily serving um, the practices in, in North Carolina and some maybe on the borders of Virginia, South Carolina. At first, it will be very much focused to North Carolina, but it's hard to say where it might go from there. Yeah, yeah. I, Joe used the analogy earlier of all the heads turning sideways um, because there's been interest peaked. And I'm sure these listeners are like, I, you know, raising their hands saying, I'm the community pharmacy that can work with our providers too. And I, I'm, that, that's, that's who this audience is. And, and they're ready and willing to go for those types of those opportunities. So I, I can't wait to see, to see that work, Trista. And, um, you know, as we wrap up today, I just want to be on the record um, to share with you how much I'm genuinely going to miss working with you on this team. And we've recently brought on some amazing talent um, to, to add to the value of CPSN, and, and they're incredible, but you certainly are irreplaceable. And so um, I don't think I've ever met anyone more prepared for every meeting that, that you've walked into. You always know the right thing to say, and, and you're you're just the voice of reason as part of our, our, our core team. And so um, I've learned so much from you on this journey. And, and like Joe said, I, I too am better in my profession by working with you. So thank you for modeling this true professionalism and every hour that you have um, um, sacrificed working toward community pharmacy is is appreciated and it's recognized and I uh, cannot wait to see um, what else is um, waiting for you in your next role because I, I have a suspicion it's going to continue to, to grow community pharmacy so again I just extend a, a heartfelt thank you and and it's been an honor to work with you in this capacity. Thank you both. It has truly been my pleasure. And to everyone who might be listening, if, if we've crossed paths, if we've worked together, um, do truly know that, again, it has been my pleasure. Anything I can do to assist you with getting ready for a contract, documenting a care plan, whatever it might have been, um, it's the it's the journey that we are on that is such a meaningful journey. And like I said, I do think it, it has a ton of promise in the next one to two years. And so um, just being able to join you along that path and be inspired by leadership like that, that Joe and Ashley offer um, and Troy and others to our team to be inspired by that and to um, be able to contribute to this this. Um, movement that has become CPESN has been such a meaningful part of my career. And no matter where I go, that will never change. So thank you both genuinely from the bottom of my heart. Yep. Thank you, Trista. And and listeners, I, I hope you heed the advice that, that she's given all of us because uh, I think she has got behind doors that uh, the typical community pharmacist, you know, doesn't even know exist or doesn't know to knock on it. She's 
she's got to walk through it and sit down with those board members who are trying to make decisions on how do they how do they work with community pharmacy so i heard trista tell us local and 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 you know really it's about local and the local relationships and i heard her talk about close relationships with our provider community which again just you know brings it back to local and and i heard her say you know think of the outcomes of the patient not just the filling the prescription fast actively and cheap as you've heard me say but but really you know getting that patient about a positive outcome and then finally we heard her tell us to document what we're doing so uh, i hope everybody listens to those words and, and uh, can can help implement that and, and carry on this great tradition of community farms thanks everyone and we'll talk to you next week the cpesn podcast is brought to you by thrive pharmacy transformations production assistance is given by mike denninger and suzanne feeney for more information visit us online at cpesn.com and tptransformations.com